And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Alright, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast Growling. I am Paul Daner Jr. here with Jay Morrison of The Athletic. How are we doing, Jay? Doing great on this rainy day. One step closer to vacation. Oh, we're so close. We're so close. It's funny, you know, this is the time of year when we talk to coaches or whatever, it's or players, you know, it's oh, what are you gonna do over break? And it's always funny. The I mean, the moment it's over where the everybody's leaving the building, like they're all off to some vacation home and until the exact moment they have to be back. You know, it's like <laughs> this is the time of it's coming up on that time of year where everyone in the NFL world for the most part disappears um for that kind of month you know for the Bengals OTAs wrapped up wrapped up I use in you know air quotes this week and mini camp is next week uh it's ba- essentially the same thing a lot I've seen that question a lot well what's the difference there's, there's really not much difference it's it's basically the same thing except it's mandatory but for yeah. in the Bengals case this year when everyone's been showing up anyway it doesn't really matter it's just kind of another another week of work for the most part it's funny you say that they they take these summer vacations until the last possible moment they have to be back. They also leave at the first po- – that that last day of OTAs, it is a race out of the stadium. Like all of them book flights an <laughs> yeah. hour after the last practice, and they are flying to CVG to get out of town. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, there will be – the mass exodus is upon us, but that is next week. So we still have a little bit more happening on the field. We're going to get to that today, talk a little bit about our latest – uh, observations from the Tuesday OTA that was open to the media, um, where we saw a little bit more from Joe Burrow and a few other things and some Zooms afterwards, some interesting things said in those um, from not just players, but uh, Zach Taylor with a few interesting comments on a few things. Um, I have a story up today on the year two leap for quarterbacks. And what does that look like? What is precedent of that? I, you know, it sort of started in in my own curiosity. Jake, you can appreciate this. I do. It, it basically, it turned into a stat dive gone mad. Like I just kept going deeper into the wormhole and decided, okay, I'm just I'm gonna do this. I'm I'm going all the way in. And uh, it was a curiosity of what is the precedent on the year two leap? What should I be putting out there as my realistic expectations? And it honestly gave me back some surprising results and takeaways that I did not expect. And we're going to dive a little bit more into that, but that's up on the site now. You can go, it's up on Twitter. You can just go to theathletic.com um, and and you can find it. Please subscribe if you're not already a subscriber. We have great deals going on right now. So you can get that story and much more. Um, so we'll get into that. Jay, you had homework last week because we Keep finding ways to give you homework uh, that resulted in a good bar bet. So I'm excited about 
us diving into that. And then we have your questions. Thank you to everybody that has sent in a bunch of questions as we called out for them on Twitter. A ton of them. Obviously, we didn't get to because you guys send in so many. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm going to have a mailbag later this week and touch on some more there on that side of the platform. But for now, uh, we picked out a few, some serious, some semi-serious, some not at all serious. Um to run through at the end of the show. So we'll be reading some of your questions off and answering as many as we can. Uh, Jay, let's start off with OTAs. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, first of all, there's alliteration in OTA observations. <laughs> and right. so I always start there. What are your OTA observations? Uh, just, and I kind of wrote about it yesterday, just the, the, the next step in the progression for Joe Burrow, where mm-hmm. uh, doing play action, the first open OTAs, they didn't everything he threw was out of an empty backfield because they didn't want anyone around him. And now two weeks later, he's he's faking handoffs and um they're just he's getting more confident in the knee that the coaches and the trainers are getting more confident. And like Zach said, you you have to do it at some point. Um it, it, it it's just you you can't put everything off. But it was interesting to see that. Uh he was throwing against defenses for the first time that I remember seeing uh mm-hmm. in, in OTAs. And in some cases, it was kind of a just a, hey, we're out here type of defense. But we saw others were the contested balls. We saw Tony Brown have a, a nice PBU on, on a, a slant near the end zone in a seven on seven. So they, there were some contested passes um, that the Tony Brown one was not against a Joe Burrow pass. It was one of the backup quarterbacks. Uh, and then the, the, the thing, the deep ball, we saw him last week throwing the pseudo deep ball where he's throwing at the full range or the full distance, but the, the receivers are starting on the goal line and just kind of trotting into the end zone. It was, it was all out nine routes at times yesterday and he's hitting guys in stride. Um, and a couple to Jamar chase that were really impressive, just right on the line. One that was overthrown and chase ran down. Um, just good to see that, that natural progression and, him moving forward and getting more confident. You you pointed it out to me after practice when he was getting his work in. He took that knee brace off and just tossed it aside like, I'm done with this thing. <laughs> um, and, and so all those things are just positive signs that they just reinforce what he and the coaches have been telling us all along, that that the the rehab is going great and everything is on pace. It wasn't quite as dramatic in slow motion with the like buildup of music like Forrest Gump when he's running and starts breaking out of the knee braces that he's had his whole life to start running, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but it was it was just like I'm taking this off. I'm done with it, but I'm going to do a few more throws without it, you know, and I mean, he, he talked about at the beginning of. OTAs about how look I like we're gonna try different ones of these. It's just finding the least of all evils because I don't like them and I don't you know, I don't like the idea of wearing them. But it's he has to and understands that. Um, but yeah, the the a moment like oh, well, I'd like to feel what it's like to throw a few without this. <laughs> um, I want to get to your wide receivers point here first, and then I want to come back with my maybe my most jarring image and most memorable moment from these entire OTAs so far was something I saw yesterday. But first, Zach talked about the progression of the deep ball and them throwing it so much more uh, yesterday in comparison to what we've seen in recent weeks, including so many receivers running deep and then throwing the ball uh, down the field. I mean, it was like almost the last, if you count some of the after practice stuff, like 35, 40 minutes of practice was all just launching downfield. Obviously, something we know that they need to do and need to be better at. 
Zach talked about kind of the progression of that. Here's Zach Taylor. Coach, I think today was the first time. I think you went long with receivers that you did some deep routes with the receivers, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, how did you think that went? How did you think Joe looked doing it? Was it- no, part of it is um, we've been here two weeks now going into this week, and, and you don't necessarily know what shape all these guys are in when they show up. And so the first week, you don't want them just, you know, hauling and, and running, you know, 45-yard go routes all the time and having to strain. So that was part of our process was week three. Let's start pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. Same goes with Joe. You know, I, I didn't know coming into it where Burrow was going to be at. And, and so now we've gotten a feel for everybody. And so this week we wanted to get some of the timing and the landmarks down a little bit better. Um, that's one of the things we weren't good enough at last year during the season. And so, you know, we didn't connect on them all today, but but you get a chance now to, to go back and watch the tape, talk about the landmarks, talk about the tempo, talk about the timing and make those corrections for later this week, next week, and then it's good tape to teach off of when you come back from training camp. There's Zach Taylor kind of talking about, you know, the the side that I hadn't, I should have, but just, you know, until somebody says it doesn't quite click to you, the idea of it was more about the receivers. Like, we don't know how these guys are showing up. Sure, we, we focus so much on Burrow and the knee and everything else, but I like – you know, the last thing you want is hamstring pulls as guys show up and they're running deep routes. I mean, we, you don't know what kind of shape all these guys are specifically in, especially when it comes in regards to football shape. So you got to kind of get a couple weeks of seeing them before you can confidently say, all right, go run deep a bunch. Uh, and so that, but they did for the first time yesterday and you started to see that work and that point of emphasis play itself out. And I think we're going to see that a ton. I think it's going to make training camp fun to watch because I think this year we might see more deep balls than we maybe have seen in a training camp in a long time. I remember I used to lament when Bill Lazor was here about like, can you just throw one? Can you just, <laughs> can you just throw one deep ball down the field to, to Ross and like, let we can watch him run. I think it was during his rookie year or maybe his second year. Like, can you just, just once so we can see it, you know, because it just, it, you just don't camp. Isn't always a lot of that. It's not a lot of doing that, but I think this year, you know, with their emphasis on it and their need to be better, so much better at it. I think you might see more of it, but that brings me to my, Really, the image, my lasting image of all these OTAs, and that was after practice, again, Joe Burrow doing extra work. He's kind of, it's been kind of a consistent thing where he'll do about 10 more minutes of throws um, after practice ends, and most of pe- most of the people go back inside. In this particular occasion, you we talked about, you know, Burrow throwing the knee brace aside, but Chase, it was weird, Jay. I mean, Chase was kind of running like some routes off to the side by himself. I'm not really super sure what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, because we were watching Burrow. Looked, and- <laughs> yeah, he looked like he kind of had something in his mind that he was trying to just kind of run through off on an, on the next field. And then it looked like, again, this is us from pretty far away because we're in a pen on, in behind the end zone. It looked like Burrow kind of motioned to him and said something to him like, hey, come over here, let's let's run some stuff. And so they ran about four routes, all different ones. But the first one was a hesitation double move by Chase, and Burrow launched an absolute dime that Chase had a little extra acceleration on the end to track down and catch it and waltz into the end zone. And it was one of those where it makes you you raise your eyebrows and you say, oh, yeah, because we've been watching this on repeat during draft <laughs> season. Like they have, We have seen this highlight, these highlights just 
shoved down our throat for months. Burrow to chase deep over the top, leaving some corner behind him. Like we, you know, in the course of that draft coverage, I feel like I've seen this throw a million times to see it in person for the first time, really, that we really truly kind of saw that like it looked like an elite element um, in person was really was really cool and encouraging. And I think it kind of gave you that glimpse of like, man, if, if this can become a primary weapon, if that's something that they can do all the time and just rekindle that quickly, um, man, it just changes everything. And you think it will be because that, I mean, everything they say about Jamar chase about how he looks like a running back with the ball in his hands and how good he is, you know, yards after catch and you, cornerbacks are going to bite if he's breaking off a route they are going to bite over and over again and yeah yesterday I we were kind of far away as you mentioned I think it was Dan Pitcher that was the cornerback on that (laughs) that kind of stutter move that Jamar left in the dust so let's put that into context but Dan Pitcher was not trying to run with Jamar right exactly But still, I would. I mean, was, I'd like to see that, but I don't. I don't think that was the attempt. <laughs> hey, he he did make a couple really nice catches, toe taps in the end zone. That, let's let's so. credit. I mean, he had some AJ Green to him in the corner yeah. toe tap on on a couple of those throws. <laughs> but sorry, Jay, go ahead. That then we're talking about pitcher early when he was playing receiver. But yeah, that's the thing. Even if it was against air, just the the timing to drop that that ball in perfect and and to have it be that route that you know is going to you presume is going to be a big part of the offense this year. It was, and, and right off the bat, like you said, the very first route that they ran of the four or five that they did, it was that one. And it was just, okay, that's maybe that connection, that chemistry uh, is, is not so hard to rebuild. It just, it, it looked perfect. And again, they're in shorts, it's practice, there's no defense, but still it's anytime you see something like that after you've seen it, over and over again at the previous level, it's just it, it makes you wonder how many times and how effective that's going to be for them this this fall. When I tweet stuff like this about <laughs> moments like this, can people stop sending me memes of aroused men? <laughs> Why does it this <laughs> this like I, I tweeted about this and this happens this happens like I get it you're excited okay people are excited can we not we don't I don't need this in my mentions or my timeline can we please can we is that something we could do away with I know by men, even mentioning it it's only probably going to make it worse but like it just it seems to happen a little too regularly uh just can ta- we just say this is great I'm very excited about this like we don't need to go directly to that route okay excited men or aroused men that aroused men sounds like a twitter violation uh aroused (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that i mean i'm not i'm not telling you to go look in my mentions but you i'm telling you what you'll find there uh i'm just i'm asking to if people could please stop (laughs) politely politely all right let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A few other uh, observations <laughs> from OTAs. Um, we got Larry Ogunjobi on uh on the zoom afterwards and and a lot of people might not know his story uh you know we've talked about him and and i asked in the q a um what was it, a week and a half ago uh, about the most important player on defense i think it's him i mean i that how much they need more out of that spot is just is integral to them being better this year and you know they're kind of playing him in something that he said, you know, they have him in the three technique, and we know that that's, that's not really what Cleveland was doing him with him as full-time. This is the first time really since high school he's been able to do that full-time and feels like that's his most natural spot where he can be the most effective and the most game wrecker. I, I think him being that, I mean, there's because of the variable of not really having – it's not like you have a guy that you know has done that and you can count on that. It's not Geno Atkins in his prime. You're talking about a guy who's never really done this full-time before. You're betting on – the upswing there. I think he's, he's incredibly important. His backstory is wild. Now it's one that clearly he's told many times and kind of admitted that, but he gave a nice synopsis of it. And I think people can find a lot of inspiration and insight into who this guy is a little bit in just his synopsis of how he got here. It's really interesting. And I, I didn't know all of it. I knew some of it, but I didn't know all of it. So here's, here's Larry Ogunjobi, um, Bengals new three technique. Uh, talking a little bit about his his background and, and how he got to this point. I feel like I told the story a bunch of times, so I'll give you guys a quick overview. But I didn't start playing football until the sophomore year of my high, of high school. The only reason why I started playing football was because my mom had took away my Xbox. Um, I was an obese kid. I was 350 pounds, you know, couldn't get in the football stance. Uh, my mom got me a coach. His name was Robert Mitchell. He trained me for about a month or so, took me to the high school. And, you know, he told me I was going to play football. I told him I wasn't going to play football. We got in an argument. Um, we got the permission slip to my mom. My mom signed it. I was on the football field that Saturday. Um, couldn't go through the workouts. You know, couldn't really do anything the first day. Coaches came up to me the next day. They said, Larry, you know, we just want to make sure you're still here. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm still here. But in my head, I was like, only because I had to be. Because, you know, that wasn't what I wanted to do at first. But, uh, you know, I went through my JV season. And uh, really the turning point where we had the award banquet and uh, I thought my best friend at the time, Trey Grimes, was going to get, you know, most improved JV player. And they called my name. And that was the first time in my life where I felt like I, you know, earned something I worked for. 
So, you know, I just kind of, I realized football was something I could do. So I asked my coach what I had to do. He said, hey, you had to get faster, you had to get stronger, you had to perfect your technique. So, like, every day after practice, I go to the YMCA and I'll start off, you know, you know, running like half a mile and biking five miles, then run a whole mile, bike 10 miles. And I finally got to the point where I could run, you know, two miles without stopping, bike 15 miles, and my body composition started changing. So I went from 350 the summer of my sophomore year to 247 the summer of my junior year. But then they said I got too small, so I had to bolt back up. So you know, I bolt back up to about 262 for my junior year, made all-conference. Then senior 267, all-conference, East-West All-Star. Had five scholarship offers from Furman, Howard, Charlotte, Presbyterian, and Catawba. Took one official visit to Charlotte, fell in love with it, you know, opportunity to be the first. And, you know, the rest is literally history. You know, I'm the first player ever drafted from my college, you know. was with the Browns for four years, and, you know, now I'm a Cincinnati Bengals, so... I've been blessed, you know, um, throughout my journey, and I'm, you know, excited for what the future holds. I'm excited for this team. I'm excited for what we can do. So right now, the biggest thing is just putting in the work right now and, you know, developing that chemistry, that camaraderie, and taking care of business on Sunday. Do you still talk to that coach now, and how are those conversations reflecting back? You know, it's crazy. Like, after, after that time, We've never like we lost all communication with him. He had he kind of he had moved somewhere. My mom always my mom always tells me like he was an angel or something. But like we have not like we tried. We looked. We tried. We could never find him. So you see Robert Mitchell out there anywhere? You know, tell him to hit me up. There's Larry Ogunjobi. I mean, you know, can we can we find Reggie Mitchell? It's tough. <laughs> it, it, Robert, it's Robert Mitchell. Right? Oh, Robert Mitchell. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I covered I covered a coach and who was uh, <laughs> Albany High School in Georgia. His name was Reggie Mitchell, and I did that all yesterday. Where I was thinking of, I was like, I know Reggie Mitchell. Wait, oh no, that's the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I looked, and there were over three hundred entries for Robert Mitchell in North Carolina. And Larry said he moved away, so there's no guarantee he's even still in North Carolina. So yeah, that's it's it's a a, a very common name, but. I, I love the story and it's just, you're right. It is inspirational. And it's, it's one of those things that it, it happens a lot in, in all walks in life, not just, not just athletes. We're, I mean, how many of us are reluctant to try something new, either it's too hard or you're worried or you're going to fail. And when you get a Robert Mitchell or somebody, whoever it is, whatever it is that pushes you to actually go try it and it works out great and you're good at it and you succeed and you think, why was I so reluctant? Why did I wait so long? It happens over and over and over again. And it's just, it is, it's, it's a great story. I don't, I don't know if they all work out as great as that, where you turn into a, a millionaire in the, in the profession or the hobby that you choose, but um, you can see it. I mean, he, he, he comes He's just sitting around a lazy, fat kid, and he gets that one push, and then it, that's all it takes to propel him to stardom. I mean, to very specifically still remember that most improved player award. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that stuck out to me. I'm like, well, that's what that award exists for, you know, right. is is that motivational, to, you know, factor part of that, you know? I mean, that, that was very cool. I, I just thought his story is very cool. Um, and he's incredibly important to this team. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued to see what they unlock, if anything, in, in Larry Ogunjobi this year. And I think a lot of the success of their defense depends on it. Um, by the way, you talked about, you know, you just need that one person to push you into doing something that you say, why was I so reluctant to do? I feel like you're like that with people about Arby's. Like, 
<laughs> I think I think you are the are pushing people in to meet mountains and 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 and, uh, and, and beef and cheddars, or at least roast beefs, and, and you know, and then people are saying, "Why was I so reluctant to do this before?" You know, I think that I think you're you're really you're the, you're the you're the the Robert Mitchell of Arby's. I have an Arby. This is perfect timing because I went to Arby's last night for dinner because of Stunning. course I did. I went through the drive through. I was out running errands and I, I just pulled over in the parking lot to eat. And, uh, I had asked for Arby sauce as I always do. And I ate the first one. I was eating my second one. I reach in the bag, grab it. It's not Arby sauce. It's oh. this, it's this like three pepper. I was like, what is this? I, Get out of here. And so it's, <laughs> I'm like, do I go back in? And I was like, well, I, I like spicy stuff. I'll try it. It was incredible. I don't. I, I may. I'm, I might go like one Arby sauce, one three pepper sauce now, or I might just go straight three pepper sauce. But it's the 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 guy that screwed up at the drive through was the guy that pushed me to try something new, and it worked out <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Some of us do these things accidentally, uh, but. That's that's fantastic. All right. Well, good to know. Another new Arby's tip. We learn something new every week. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's flip forward here. And I have the story up on the year two leap of Joe Burrow as far as it, it turned into a statistical deep dive. Um, and but it was important. It was about find. It's not not as much about the numbers. While that's the core of it, it's about finding precedent and about setting expectations and about understanding, you know, what next year means, even in regards to the long term. I mean, what is the history, and what does it mean if you don't see a huge leap from Burrow statistically this year, and because. You know, you you get into this world now where look, you better be good now, or 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 they're moving on. You know, I mean, look around, look around this thing, look around this league. I mean, there are people questioning Tua. He hasn't even played a full season yet. Sam Darnold, deuces. You know, I mean, this is this is this league, and and if if you're a young quarterback, the expectations are dramatically different from what they were five years ago. You need to come in. You need to be good immediately. Or they're moving on. Now, I'm not saying that this team is not going to give Joe Burrow every every chance to prove himself, even if he even if he didn't take the the leap that some would hope he would take this year, or even if he was still kind of the same guy he was last year. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it tells you that maybe you shouldn't expect that he eventually gets to the point that you want him to, because you just Josh Allen for the Bills last year in his third year kind of took a huge leap. There are some examples of quarterbacks that it takes third for. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is a very weird example. It took a change of scenery to really get the most out of him in Tennessee. For the most part, the grouping of quarterbacks that have that truly successful year in one of their first two is so different than the ones that through the first two don't quite get there. I think it creates... A little more, I mean, for me, it showed the need for more urgency and understanding what this year is going to tell us about Joe Burrow's long-term prospects. I mean, in that he needs to be, he needs to take a serious leap this year. Not that he won't, but he needs to in order for us to think that he has any real shot to be who this franchise wants and needs him to be and expects him to eventually be. The I just, you know, 
it's a really interesting look. And why does Carson Palmer keep showing up? (laughs) 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 I, I, you know, as many, every single time, you know, we're looking for parallels and comparisons anywhere. He just keeps showing up over and over and over again. In this case, what I used was, you know, you can go in and read the story. I don't want to dive too deep into the like logistics of it because I explain it all um, in the piece. But I used adjusted net yards per attempt, which is a metric that's, you know, is proven to be most correlative to wins and losses and true quarterback performance. Uses on an index line of to to adjust for error. So essentially, if a guy has a 109, he was 9% better than everybody because 100 is the average. If you follow baseball, it's like OPS plus if you're into those types of things. But if you had a, scored a 91, you were 9% worse than the average quarterback that year. So it allows you to go across eras easily because there's a big difference between judging Carson Palmer's stats in 04 and Joe Burrow's stats in 2020 uh, in the way the league is played and the way numbers go. But you, he just keeps showing up. He, he had the greatest second season. Now, we count season played, so the 03 is obviously thrown out. The greatest second season of anybody in this, and I went back 17 years to that. It's 25 different quarterbacks, the best second season, one of the biggest leaps. Could you imagine this town <laughs> if Joe Burrow follows that parallel? Because Carson scored a 95 in 2004 as his number. And Joe Burrow had a 93 last year as on the index. He went all the way up to 121, which is very much elite um, in his second season. Could you imagine if Joe Burrow made a similar jump this town? It would be 2005 all over again. I, I was the, just going to say, yeah, yeah, you can imagine it because we've all seen it. It, yeah. and it, it. I think it would even be more so now just with how much more connected fans are through social media and all that. It would. It would, it would light this town up. And it is – you know, you talk about all the the parallels with Carson. Um, there, it it's a little different because he sat. I think he's this. I think he's the only guy on your list that that sat that first year. So you, you're you're going by the first year he actually played, and then the second year. Um, but he is far the 121 is way the next highest is 117 on that list with wins. I mean, he is far and away the the highest on the metrics you used. What I another thing going back to you mentioned Josh Allen that one too where he he didn't it, yes it was year three when he broke out but he didn't you you point this out in the story he didn't have the the minimum number of attempts to qualify in year one so he's he, you can almost add him to this list of guys that make that rise mm-hmm. in year two. Um, what I really loved as as a a stat lover and then reading your story was how you didn't just pick one data point and 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 get the results that you were looking for, you backed it up by going to QBR just to make sure QBR mm-hmm. reflected what you you found in the in the average net yards per attempt. And I just it's it's a great piece. It it's it sounds really in depth. You you don't have to be a, a super stat minded guy to to read the piece. Um, Paul does a great job of kind of laying it out and and using tables. And um, if you are a Bengal fan, even a casual one, it's it's a definite must read. Yeah, and and it comes down to I mentioned the subset of quarterbacks of did you have a season that was average or better, which is a hundred in either of your first two years, and the group of those that didn't, I'll just read them off, and people 
you don't you don't need any stats to understand the difference in these groupings. <laughs> Those that didn't, again, Joe Burrow ninety three last year, so he would need to pay a pretty big jump um, to get over a hundred. Not that he won't. This is not me saying he won't. This is me saying you have to understand the possibilities of what's at stake if he doesn't. Here's the grouping of those that did not. Under the qualifications, like we mentioned, which is 350 attempts in each of your first two years. Uh, Blake Bortles, Teddy Bridgewater, Andy Dalton, Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, Ryan Tannehill. That is those that did not. The ones that did at least once. Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Jared Goff, Robert Griffin III, injury, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Landrew Luck, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Marcus Mariota, Baker Mayfield, Gardner Minshew, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Mitch Trubisky, Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston. There's a few busts in there. I mean, a few that all it didn't, it kind of went sideways for them in there. But I mean, <laughs> running through the names, like, do you want to be in the group? Do you want to be among the elite? Okay, you better, it better happen early. Okay, and even more so when you just, I mean, that's just when you look at the last, you know, 10 years, I mean, uh, of how quickly you need to be able to play. And so that, you know, Burrow should make a jump this year. Everybody expects it. Everything is set up for that to happen. We never really got to see his first year jump. You know, that was sort of, that was one of the things stolen from us was, he should have made good, and his numbers, that 93 probably should have been about a 96, 97 if he plays out the rest of the year because his numbers would have offset the slow start because he was still learning early in the season. And we never, but he never got that. So we don't, the, the spectrum of possible results for Joe Burrow's level of play this year is very wide because we never really got to see the incremental jump that we would have seen the last six games of last year. So how good can he be? I mean, the sky's the limit. It really is. I mean, he could be exactly the same guy we saw when he left the field in Washington last year, or he could be 2005 Carson Palmer. Neither one of those is unrealistic or without precedent, but where he ends up on that list, I think does go a long way to showing who he may be, who he will be or what we should expect him to be long-term. Yeah, and I think the more likelihood is the I, I don't know if he'll be as good as 2005 Carson Palmer, but it feels like that's that's the more likely way this will go this year because we never got to see that leap, but he was in the crouch. I mean, he was the, the mm-hmm. offense and Burrow in general were really starting to take off when he got hurt. And you look at those games that he missed against some really bad defenses, and and Brandon Allen played well against those teams, and you just. You just think about what it would have been like had Joe Burrow been able to to finish that year. I, I as terrific as Justin Herbert played, I, I don't know if if he still wins the AFC or the the NFL Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year award. If, if Joe Burrow is healthy for sixteen games, it just felt like everything was starting to come together. Um, One twenty one is crazy. I don't know. Like if you had to put an over under on it, what would you? What would you surmise would be the, the the betting line for for his average net yards per attempt in year two for Burrow? Well, I would go off the math, and and that I I went through when I broke down the subset of those that had a between ninety and ninety nine in their first year, in their second year, the average growth from 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 that subset it was eight quarterbacks. Uh, Kyler Murray, Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Tannehill, Carson Palmer, Joe Flacco, Andrew Luck, Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota. That average growth was was eight eight percent 
better. So if we're talking about going from 93, you're talking 101, you know, one right at average in, in the NFL. And I don't, I think that's a fair jump to expect and set an over. I would, I would say 101 would be an ab- absolutely fair number to set as an over under. I would, I think it, Vegas would move that up because the betting line would probably be people would put more money on the high side. I think where you should put it would be 101, but probably it would move to like 104. <laughs> probably. I would I would think. But, you yeah. know, that's the funny thing about that subset Jay is when I when I broke down the numbers on that gr- the group of quarterbacks who had between 90 and 99 that like you know, solid foundation, but not spectacular from the first year, the second year. Yeah, there was a double the amount of jump that you got out of the whole rest of the quarterback study. But not only that, none of them had losing records in year two. None. They were all at least 500, and a bunch of them, let's see, one, two, three, half of them had double-digit wins. Uh, that includes Andy Dalton. Um and the only reg- only regression in the stat was was Ryan Tannehill going from ninety two to eighty seven, and they st- they, you know they finished eight and eight. But every all the rest of them went up some significantly, and that's just in the last ten years, right there. So, or excuse me, that's the, over the whole that's the whole over the whole group. But I mean, that's remarkable that you did not see. I mean, year two, the team grows with them. You know, and and so that maybe that's where your expectations should be. Yeah, and the the biggest jump out of all of those was Carson. The second biggest, Marcus Mariota, which is kind of a a bit of a surprise. Um, great second year, and now he's a backup. Right. That's what. It's why it was so disappointing in Tennessee. What happened the few years after that, and and he's a real outlier in that respect. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot of guys where that happened. There's a couple, but usually there was other extenuating circumstances. I don't know enough about the inside of the Tennessee situation. Um, but, I mean, it, it, that doesn't happen often where you see, you know, the big jump in year two and then they just totally kind of fall off the map. Yeah. Um, but in, anyway, if there's more in there. You can read through it. It's more easily explained. Hopefully we didn't butcher it up too much here. Um in the piece. So go and subscribe if you'd like to read more about that. Jay, we gave you homework last week. You did. Because we keep doing this. <laughs> and but I enjoy you keep it. accepting I, it. You know what? I, I am a classic procrastinator. So you would think I, I did my homework assignment last night. And that is not the case. I did it as soon as we finished the pod last week. I was like, I want to know this answer. And I did it immediately as soon as the pod was over. And it took some time to do. Um, the assignment, we, we were talking about distribution and um, what was it? Three receivers over 70 catches. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would ask the question, well, I wonder how many teams have had five, not receivers, but players with more than 50 catches. So I went through and looked at how often it happened in Bengals history. Never. And how often it's happened in NFL history. And uh, it's not very often. Um I went all the way back to 1966, Super Bowl era, to see how many times this happened. How, what would be your guess? How many times it happened? Well, now that you told me, not very often. Yeah. It, it brings. I would have. I would have thought more often. I. I would guess. I don't know. I will say. Ten total and 
five in the last 15 years? Uh, five in the last 10 years. All right. Uh, and then two before that. So we have five in the last 10 years. One team in the 90s did it, and one team, believe it or not, in the 80s did it. Um, so the, the 80s team was the 1980 Browns. Wow. Reggie, uh, who was their quarterback? Um, it was Brian One MVP. Seif. He won the MVP. Is Brian Seif. That was the Brian red right. The red right, whatever, the the one they they lost the uh, playoff game to the Raiders late. That was that season. Yeah. They had R- Reggie Rucker, Mike Pruitt, Greg Pruitt, Dave Logan, and Ozzie Newsome. Uh, the 90s team was um, the 94 Patriots with Bill Parcells. Uh, both those teams, playoff teams. Um, and then the ones in the last five years, the 2011 Saints, yeah. uh, 13 and three division champs. The 2013 Broncos, 13 and three division champs, lost Broke in a the ton Super of Bowl. records. <laughs> yes. Um, as you mentioned last week, Brian Callahan on that staff. Yep. Next team, 2016 Lions, Brian Callahan. On that staff, <laughs> uh, nine and seven wild card team. Uh, then the last two teams to do it, uh, the nineteen Cowboys and the twenty twenty Cowboys. They've done it in back to back years and have not turned either one into a, a winning record. Um, the most the Bengals have ever had is four in two thousand ten of all seasons. That terrible season, <laughs> they had four guys with at least fifty catches with uh, Chad Johnson, Terrell Owens, Jermaine Gresham, and Jordan Shipley. Rarely does Jordan Shipley show up in a in a Bengals stat dive, but uh, he did on this one. So the, one of the things I thought was most interesting going through this was, and I, I posed this as a question with my friends at a at a pool party cookout on on Sunday, and I, I gave them ten guesses, and they still couldn't come up with the right answer. So who do you think is the first Bengals player in history to have a fifty catch season? Oh God! You're gonna make me go back to like the '68. I mean, like, who did Greg Cook throw to? Uh, it was in the '70s. Isaac Curtis? Nope. I don't know. Yeah, it's. It, it, I bet uh, you could win a bar bet with this one because it, it's a name that it, it may not be on the tip of your tongue, but when you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, I remember him because um, he had a pretty solid career for the Bengals. It was Chip Myers. He had 57 catches in 1972. That was the first, and that was the fifth season of franchise history. It took that long before they had a guy to go over 50. Um, 12 times in history, they've had three guys with with 50 or more, but never five. Most teams don't have never done it with five, and you you could see it happening this year with the with with the way that this offense can spread out what the receivers are going to do, and then if you're going to have Joe Mixon more involved. Not sure, sure C.J. Uzama gets there. That's that's kind of the key to this is having three receivers and then a running back and a tight end that can get over 50. Not sure C.J. can get there, but it, it's going to be really interesting to see how how the targets and catches are distributed this, distributed this year from Joe Burrow. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're 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 right. I mean, again, we sort of talked about this last week. I mean, so much of this is really about health. You know, it's about yeah. five guys staying healthy. Um, and them being your regulars all the vast majority of the year, um, because that's the only way that you reach that many guys crossing that that mark. The Cowboys stuff is interesting because the Cowboys have followed a similar offensive model to the Bengals. Their offensive line being obviously better in general, but 
of just loading up on the weapons on the outside and letting deck wing it with the you know the the powerful running back in the backfield i mean their their skill position players are set up very similar they've lost games because their defense has been a train wreck Mm -hmm. but you wonder if the bengals are following the model of the cowboys teams which really haven't won much um but have been pretty electric offensively so it'd be interesting to um to see again, they're, the Bengals are a fun case study this year. They're a fun case study to, to mm-hmm. follow what it looks like in the new NFL. Um, no, well, I, I, I even asked, I set out in the QA for people to send more projects for you, send more homework to Jay. <laughs> All right, let's just take a quick break. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You got your Q and A questions in here from Jay. You've got a, you've picked out uh, a few from the internet as to to run through. Yeah. So, what are we? Where are we going to start today? In in the in the reader Q and A. All right. We'll start with a question from Greg Luther. Um, he wanted to know how many wide receivers the Bengals will keep on the fifty three man roster at the end of camp and rank them. Um. Now, I don't know if he means rank what kind of season they're going to have or where they are right now. Who's wide receiver one? Who's wide receiver two? So you can kind of you, you can use your own discretion on that. Um, I did look before you you go through. Um, they've kept seven wide receivers on the opening 53 in both of Zach's first two seasons and in the last four seasons overall. So seven feels like the number. But if, if you want to take a stab at ranking them. Uh, we're, I'm just ranking them in general, right? I'm not ranking yeah. how much what I think their production will be, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I will rank them in general as of opening day, as of that moment, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Uh, T. Higgins, yep. one. Tyler Boyd, two. Uh, Jamar Chase, three. And I think that could change by week six, <laughs> yes. where you're starting with Jamar Chase. I don't know how quickly Jamar Chase is going to take to the NFL. Um if it's going to be, he's going to show up week one and, and go for 180. I don't know. Uh, for now, I love T. Higgins in the direction he's headed. I've said that since last year. That torch passed about week seven last year uh, to T. The moment he caught that ball in Indy, it felt like the torch passed. Um, <laughs> T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase is how I rank my top three. Auden Tate, uh, Mike Thomas, uh, and then I have Trent Taylor uh, in there as the. Sixth, um, I, I don't. I mean, we, that's kind of. I, 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 maybe they. I know they've done seven. They've done uh, seven maybe, four straight years. Yeah. I think Stanley Morgan to, yeah. with his value on special teams as the seventh. Um, I just don't know if he makes the team, which yeah. is why I'm like not so sure on the seventh. But I mean, he's if they if some if there is a seventh in my uh, guesstimation, he would be the guy. Yeah, and you wonder what kind of leap Scotty Washington can make in year two. He spent the whole year on the practice squad. Um, and then Trenton Irwin also, just that value. I guess if they keep Taylor, it, it kind of reduces the the need for a, another slot guy with Trenton Irwin. But, yeah, it's if you, you could almost see with the expanded practice squad and, and the 
the the guys that have experience with this offense, um, maybe they do go six and, and pack that practice squad with with three or four wide receivers and being able to kind of pull one of those up if something goes wrong. Um, but I, yeah, the, the big question for me, I actually, I had Boyd first. I had Boyd, then Higgins, just where it, it is right now. Um, but the, the big question is, is Stanley Moore? Because he doesn't really give you much as a receiver. His, his Almost his entire value is on special teams. And he has been good. But is that enough to earn a, a roster spot on this roster? Um, I guess that's what we find out in training camp. Yeah. And I mean, and that feels like somebody that could be up and down over the course of the True. year, depending on injuries and week to week. And, and you know, you never, you never know. But for now, yeah, I think, I think that's the set. I mean, Taylor is the, the clear backup to Boyd, where it's like, look, he's here in the slot. If Tyler gets hurt, you can move somebody else in. Um, everybody else with a T, but Jamar Chase. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is his, does he have a middle name like Tucker? Yeah, what or something? is his middle like, name? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we need the like six T's. Uh, all right, what's next? All right, staying on the uh, receiver theme, uh, it's actually a run passer boot from Ethan oh, I Wagner. Love I love you, run passer booters. <laughs> um, Ethan wants to know run passer boot number of Bengals players among Higgins, Boyd, and Chase who top a thousand receiving yards. Will it be all three? Will it be just two of the three? Or will it be zero or one? You know, I'm going to run with two. Yeah. Um, I, I When you bring injury into play and you start thinking about and, – and there's a chance that somebody could have – you know, there's just not only so many balls to go around. Someone could end up with like 900 even if they stayed healthy and that would still be a great year. I, I think two is the most likely – my pass, I'm going to pass on zero to one just because of the injury possibility. I mean, you mm-hmm. it, receiver position, guys can get banged up. You end up deep and you end up playing your fourth and fifth receiver, you know, a decent amount uh, year to year. Um, I don't know that you can bet on the full games from everybody and, and, and again, that and then that takes your total down where you could still go 1,300, 900, 800, and that's fantastic. Um, so I, I, I would, I'll say that, and then I'll, I'll, I'll boot, I'll boot three. I think it's a fun thing to think about, um, and a, a statistical anomaly that's exciting for people, but you know, I don't necessarily know that it's going to play out that way. So I'll, I'll boot three. Yeah. That was, that was kind of my thought too, is that it, it, it all depends on, the pass in the boot. It just too felt like the most obvious. I don't know. I don't think the Bengals have ever had three 1000 yard receivers in, in one season. I don't know how many teams have done that. It just look at you. You just yeah. gave yourself. Oh, I, did, I, I mean, you just do it to yourself, Jay. <laughs> you keep giving yourself this homework. I'm putting it in. How All many? Right. I'm writing it down. Put it down. Keep giving it does, himself it homework. So, it seems so rare and like you said it not just the injury factor but you have to have almost perfectly split distribution for that to happen or some crazy ridiculous year where you've got an 1800 a 1300 and a and a 1050 type of guy um i i just i don't see that happening um and if it was if it if the number was like 850 or 900 i might run with three 
Um, but at a thousand, that just seems too much. I, I think you, you nailed it right on, right on the head with two, then zero one and boot three. Okay. Makes sense. Um, all right. What do we got? What do we got next? All right. Uh, Jeff Wagner, who I, I don't know if he's related to Ethan or not. Uh, well, wanted Jeff, Jeff Wagner, very prominent Bengals fan. Yes. So. But I don't, I don't know if there's a connection with Ethan at all. Um, he, Jeff wants to know of, of the rookies that they drafted this year in rounds four through seven. So we're not counting Carmen chase or Osai. Uh, he wants to know of, of those seven guys they drafted in rounds four through seven, who will be the three most productive five years from now in 2026 when the stadium lease is up and, and some big decisions need to be made unless that stadium lease is renewed early. But of those seven guys, who do you think would be the three most productive in order? The three most productive. Um, in order, I mean, I, I think I'm going to start with Cam Sample. Um, I, I, you know, who knows how these things will play out, but I think I like I like the sample pick. I think he's got, you know, there's this team certainly has a history of finding very very productive defensive linemen in the fourth round, and Sample seems to fit that mold. I like everything that we've seen from him so far. Um, so I I'm gonna start there. Um, now, when you say productive. Where does Evan McPherson fit in here? He was my number one, just by the nature of the position. I think he's going to be producing week in and week out as a kicker. You you would hope. Maybe things go awry and, and he's not who they thought he was. But if if he's your kicker for your ne- the next five years, he's probably number one on the production list. Yeah. You're, I mean, yeah, I guess – I mean, it's hard to judge across. but I, I So I would say McPherson too – and I'm going to say Chris Evans. Yeah, he was my third. Three. Um, I think I think you'll see him grow into the Geo role a little bit, little by little. Maybe not as much this year. Maybe a, a sprinkling this year. But I think I, I see him growing into that and being a uh, um, and giving you something. So we'll see. We'll see how that. It's it's so hard. I mean, that's it's so hard to judge late round picks that will stick. I mean, you go year to year and you just, you never know who is Clayton Fedulum and who is Lavelle Westbrooks, you know, like it's just, (laughs) it's, it's on those guys. I mean, it becomes on those guys to create their situation, to, to take advantage of the opportunities when they're given them. And if they don't, you know, they skip off the ozone layer, skip off the atmosphere into orbit. Uh, but, you know, the ones that that know how to do it and can prove themselves and take advantage when they get the right opportunity end up finding careers. And, um, you know, it's 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 really hard to judge that. I mean, we're it's to me, that's a blind that's spinning four times with a hand over my eyes and throwing a dart and seeing yeah. where it lands. I mean, it's it's a tough thing to know. I mean, I I had McPherson one and and sample two, and then obviously Evans third. So it was we were both spun in the right direction. Yes. Um, The next one, one of my favorite ones on the list, and he doesn't have his real name on there. His at name and his his listed name is the same. It's Governor Chief. I think he's Mm -hmm. one of our UK listeners. All right. Um, He wants to know 
if the Bengals do win a Super Bowl, what kind of shots are CJ or is CJ Uzama feeding to Joe Burrow? And what is Mike Brown drinking? And what is Elizabeth Blackburn drinking? And will there be keg stands? Okay. Let's start with let's start with what shots he's feeding. <laughs> Joe Burrow. CJ sounded like someone with a desire to get Burrow as drunk as possible as quick as possible. Okay? He wants him he wants him to be drunk the whole t- So to me, it, what CJ's interest is is something potent, something quick. Uh so I am going to say car bombs. Oh. Car bombs also a very communal shot. Everyone loves to hold them up in the air and drop them in. It's very celebratory. The splash happens. You know, you throw it back. Um, so that's why I'm going there. It feels like a, a group celebration type of thing with an instant impact. So I say CJ feeding Burrow some car bombs. I went fireball. I just think they're they're those guys are younger of that age, and it's just easy to do to carry a bottle around. And yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of work that goes into it. You need a bunch of glasses, and then are you going to keep passing around the <laughs> well, same I guess glasses? I was they'd be at a place. Oh, uh, I was kind of envisioning like boats, like the oh, Tampa okay. Bay. You're, you're, they're you're going down the, the Ohio Tampa River scenario. Okay, yeah, yeah. It, which is why I kind of ruled out keg stands because I don't know that there would be kegs rolling around on boats on a river. But yeah, I, I, I if, if that is a good point about getting dr- as drunk as possible as fast as possible. Um, if that's the case, maybe maybe Jägermeister is the way to go. But that's that's Jay, an acquired you're just reeling off the things that you do. <laughs> that's true. Well, I can speak from experience <laughs> that they are fun to do. So that if you're celebrating a Super Bowl, that's the way to do it. Uh, now, what would Mike and Elizabeth be drinking? Now, Mike, I. I I don't know Mike's drinking habits or if he's even drinking anything yeah. anymore. I feel like there's probably a Manhattan. Maybe. I, I was thinking maybe Paul Brown bought a bottle of 1968 Merlot when the team was founded and was saving it for mm. this moment for when a Super Bowl finally happened. And maybe he's got that in a wine cellar somewhere just waiting to uncork it. That makes sense. There's there is a there is a bottle waiting somewhere, and the whole family will share it together. So that's what Elizabeth would also be drinking. Yeah, I have no idea what her drink of choice, or if she even drinks. So that we we haven't been around her enough to even make a a guess there. But yes, if that's the case, if they're pulling out a, a family wide bottle, then sure they would all share in that. As for will there be keg stands? Yes, there's offensive linemen. Are there not? <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, uh, all right. What uh, what did you have a another one? No, that's that's uh, the the four that I had. I think you okay. have a couple, don't you? I have a couple more. I have a couple more that are a little less. Not that that last one was serious, <laughs> uh, but a little less so. Um, all right, from PJ Foley, he asked. Uh, with the NFL and the PA hesitant to allow locker room access again, who is the hardest player to get one-on-one, not counting Geno Atkins? And also if you have any good locker room stories. Um, well, 
the hardest player to get one on one over the. I mean, it's hard to say other than Geno Atkins. I mean, that certainly um, is always the one that takes the cake. Um, but really, the one that's just front and center right now is partially because of circumstance and partially because of who he is, Joe Burrow. Like, yeah, can anybody get in his orbit? <laughs> I mean, one, we're not allowed. So we haven't even been in the locker room. You don't even have – I don't know what he will be like in the locker room. We may, may, Maybe we'll never know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I, we don't know. Like, so, you know, when Andy Dalton was in the locker room, you know, his press conference would end and we'd walk in and he would hang out and BS with you in the corner about anything or ask any, if you had any other questions you wanted to save, he'd hang out and talk to you and was very open. He'd talk to you, you know, we were just standing there. I mean, it was very much wide open. Joe may be that way, and, 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 but we don't know. LSU didn't have open locker rooms. Uh, he's never been in an open locker room situation, so I don't know if he would – Take a fit. We do know that he has handlers <laughs> now, yeah. and he and he is not necessarily a fan of doing a ton of media. Um, and when he does, it's very much hand picked uh, and strategic, particularly on a national level. And so, you know, he does the zooms with us. I so for now, I mean, I you know, you can't get a one on one with Joe Burrow. It's extremely hard to do. It's almost impossible locally until they would have some form of local access. For now, you know, it's it's Zoom stuff. Um, you know, in in the in the in the past, you would have, you know, in the over the course of training camp, you could put in a request for any player on the team to do a one on one with. Basically they, you know, to say over the next month, at some point I'd like to do a one on one with this person and you know they'd be able you would line it up it would be able to happen and you could have for whatever story you were you were trying to do almost almost across the board um it's harder to do now and certainly in in this situation where it's uncertain where access is going to land you know where everything is much harder to do to get in touch with not just the stars but the 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 less known players um, it becomes, it, you know, you don't know how much you'll even be able to do that anymore. And that's that's unfortunate yeah. for everybody. Yeah, I, I think second on that list would be Joe Mixon. Um, he, he seems, I don't know if it's just the in, coming back from the injury. He's great in scrums. Like when we were in locker rooms, he, he would have some of the longest sessions. And that's because he has really long answers. He kind of talks, uh, repeats himself sometimes to kind of drive home points. But it is, it's, you, you wonder you could always kind of grab those guys walking off the the field and get them one-on-one after a practice or after a training camp session. And just for that three or four minute walk in. And if, if they kind of like the direction that it's going, you have maybe some unusual questions, things they haven't answered over and over again. And you could kind of say, Hey, I would be interested in talking about this a little bit more Then I think they would be willing to do a one-on-one. But right now you don't get any of that. It's just, it was just putting in a request through the team. And some of these guys, I mean, we're, we now have, I'm not, this is not homework. This is just, I'm guessing out loud, but the number of guys on this team in year one or two, who we have never spoken with face to face. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot. Or not spoken to at all. 
or at all. Yes, because even guys you don't do stories on, you still kind of just chat them up in the locker room and kind of talk to them as, as a person without pulling out the recorder or the notebook. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 always been pretty easy to, to line one of those up. And, and it just feels like it's completely fallen off the cliff. And uh, hopefully, hopefully locker room access comes back sooner rather than later. But um, it, it feels like it's going to be a fight. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely is. Already is there. I mean, that's kind of become public here lately. Is mm-hmm. that? And, and look, this is not. I, I just there's a couple of things to say about this. One, I'm very happy, and kudos to C. Trent Rosecrans, our partner in Cincinnati, who is the president of the Baseball Writers Association, who has worked with their PA and with MLB to get that right and, and everybody on board understanding the importance of reporters in the locker room and and what that does for fan engagement and what that does for players people knowing who the players are and having a, a touch a human touch and nuance in in with the players you know a lot was made and and rightfully so about the Naomi Osaka situation and, and mental health and the abrasiveness of press conferences and zoom conferences yeah they suck. They are not a way that humans should interact, okay? That humans should interact in a more personal situation where there's follow-up questions and ease and nuance and 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 explaining of yourself afterwards even and and just and and getting to know people, that's part of it, a human element. Press conferences and Zoom conferences in particular rip that whole thing away. It's totally gone. So any real getting to know and real understanding of the person and telling their story is 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 gone when you don't have media in the locker room. It it it, it the problems brought to light by the Osaka situation are made exponentially worse by then keeping the media out. You know, the way you make yeah. that better is by letting them in so that you don't have that abrasiveness of the interviews. There, that doesn't exist when you have a more personal relationship. Some sports, that's not really possible. Tennis, I mean, but, but in, through an NFL lens, I mean, that's that's part of this and what you you know you lose. And it's just like I said, it's not as much the stars. It's if you you know if you can only have people in Zoom or in outside mixed areas, like you know, you don't get to know the other, the rest of the team in an NFL world where there's ninety guys in the locker room. Like you just you never get to tell those greats the other rest of those stories. It's very it's much harder mm-hmm. to do um, to even know what those great stories are just by being around and talking to different people and, and gathering story ideas that way. So that that's really a big part of it. We'll see where it lands. I just hope that you know the NFL and the NFLPA and you know the Pro Football Writers Association and Lindsey Jones, the president, are are inside all those negotiations right now that are going on. You know help everybody understand like the importance of the human element and what that creates for the players, for their stories, for fans understanding their players, for players feeling like their true story gets out there the right way. Um, it's, it's not about restricting. And, and I understand that lots of people have views on this and people just think that we're sitting here talking about our own job security. I, I think it's about, Everything. I think all sides lose if you restrict. All all sides. The players lose because their story gets out there wrong. It's more abrasive. It's harder on PR. The fans know people less, and media certainly can't do their job hardly at all. 
and and I hope that everybody has an understanding of that. But we'll see how it plays out. We'll see what happens, you know, once the regular season, you know, start camp comes and regular season starts. Yeah, fingers crossed that we can get back to normal. I think a lot of baseball players understand it, and maybe even a percentage of them enjoy having the the media in there because it is day to day. And if if a guy if you if a guy has a bad game and, and a writer criticizes him, and you, you need to be in there the next day to kind of face up to it and let hit the, let the player tell you why you're wrong or to talk it over, it's just it's just so much better way to 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 do this job. And a good analogy is people say it all the time. People will say stuff to an athlete on Twitter that they would never say to their face. Well, kind of to a lesser extent, reporters ask questions in press conferences. They would never ask a, a player right to his face in a one-on-one or even in a small scrum in a locker room. It's just, it's a horrible way to conduct interviews. That's all we have at the moment. Yeah. And look, <laughs> you can't use, you can't pack a stadium with 80,000 people who you don't know their <laughs> vaccination status and then say, oh, yeah, but we don't want to let, you know, reporters near these guys like, vaccinated that, that you know are vaccinated. Yeah, that are have, that are proof of it. Like, you can't you can't. It doesn't hold up. This isn't about covid. And that's OK. This isn't about covid. And, and I hope that I hope that no one people can stop hiding under that BS. Because this isn't about that. This is about them trying to restrict access and and restrict people being around these players and fans getting to know who they are. Um, and that's 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 what's on the line here. And that's okay. We'll you know we'll see how it all see how it all plays out. But I hope they understand the importance of it and, and the nuance of of what it really means if you do start restricting. So anyway, uh, let's go back to a lighter note. We were in a good light <laughs> spot to wrap this up. And this is from Jeremy Deal. He said. Uh, has Jay had the new crinkle cut fries from Arby's and run passer boot crinkle curly potato cakes? This is pretty much at the core of our existence here. This question, Jay, where do you, I'll let you start off. <laughs> I'm not a big fry guy. Um, I normally, my you side, you're all about the meats. Yeah. I'm about the meats. And normally my fried side is jalapeno poppers. So at, at Arby's. But if if I had to rank those three choices right there, I'm running with the potato cakes. I, I do love those. Um, I would I'll pass on crinkle fries, even though I've never had them. I do like them generally. And I'm just I'll boot curly fries. I'm just not a fan of them. They're seasoned a little differently than what you're used to. And I know that's what some people like about them in addition to the weird shape. Um, but I just I've never been. I don't know if I've ever. Honestly, now that we talk about it, I don't know if I've ever ordered curly fries. I've eaten them because my wife will get them or the kids will get them and, you, you know, you steal a couple out of the bag. But, nah, boot those things. Run curlies. Really? All day. All <laughs> day. It's like the sole reason I would go to Arby's for the most part. Love the curlies. I mean, they have been around so long. They must be pretty popular. Yes. Uh, and I, I will I will pass on crinkles and boot the cakes. Oh. Yeah, those are so good. Give me the curlies. If I'm if I'm going <laughs> if I'm going in, I'm going I'm going curlies. Uh, good good Arby's discussion today, Jay. We multiple <laughs> Arby's moments. Yeah, I mean, how we don't have a sponsorship at this point is fairly rem- remarkable. Uh, all right, we'll be back next week. Um, we'll be wrapping up mini camp 
uh, for you next week. So keep an eye out for that podcast. They're going to go Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they have a a Thursday session. It's a glorified walkthrough, but we'll get Zach Taylor with the off-season wrap uh, coming to us that Thursday. So that's that's it. And then at that point, everybody disappears. So we will, we will still be coming to you over the, the dead period, but we'll have some specialty shows for you coming in that range. So anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we appreciate talking to you. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.